Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning, Father, as we look to these words, as we look to this tightly compressed passage of Scripture, Father, as we recognize this is one single sentence of, uh, of, 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 great, uh, of great importance, Father. We look to you, Lord, that you'll help us to continue to uh, look through these phrases, uh, to look through uh, all of these things that have been written, Father, written for our instruction, written for your glory, uh, written that we may be uh, built up in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask that you would accomplish these things through your word this morning as we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I think most of us probably relate with this. Uh, I think most of us would probably love to be able to go back in time and reverse, perhaps, or uh, change some of the decisions that we've made in the past. Uh, amen? Yeah. I mean, we have regrets. Uh, we have things in our past that we would like to change. There are painful things there. Uh, we've done things that have caused people pain, and other people have done things to us that have caused us pain. And I think that we would love to be able to go back and change it. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful to be made new, brand new, uh, recreated, if you will, uh, recreated. And the great news of the gospel uh, this morning is that is indeed one of the blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? To be made new to be recreated. And we need this so desperately. I mean, every generation has needed these precious, liberating, life-changing, recreating words, haven't they? Every generation. Every generation. But we live in a time in church history where there is tremendous confusion concerning the gospel. I've told you this, my own story uh, several times. I don't mind repeating it. I hope, you know, after you've <laughs> been with me so long, sometimes you hear the same stories over and over again. I hope you won't mind, but it's, it's so very important. Uh, I, I remember reading the Bible as God began to stir my heart uh, to, to seek the Lord. I remember reading the Bible, and I remember coming across passages like Romans 1.16, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. 
And I, I remember that verse meaning so much to me because I had, had been reading and studying the Bible and I'd come to understand a, a little bit of the law, at least enough of the law to realize that I, I, I am a sinner who needs cleansing, who needs forgiveness, who needs grace. So when I came across verses like uh, Romans 1.16, I, I certainly, uh, it certainly had my attention. I mean, the words power of God for salvation uh, really got my attention. I, I understood that I was a sinner like I'd never understood before. And Paul tells us that it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. But I would ask myself, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And I remember researching the question. I remember looking through the Bible, trying to discern what exactly is the gospel. We have 66 books here. Is there a particular book that's the gospel? We have four books that are called the gospel. Uh, what exactly is the gospel? So I began to ask people for help of folks who, who to my level of discernment at the time, I thought were believers. I would ask them, you know, tell me, what is the gospel? And um, some folks would point to their personal testimony. They would go into their testimony. They would start talking about how the Lord had worked in their lives. And I love to hear people's testimonies. I, I really do. Uh, a lot of times when I meet people, uh, you know, who are believers for the first time, they tell me, how'd you come to know the Lord? How'd you? I love to hear those stories. So uh, a lot of folks would point to their testimony. Uh, other folks would point to their decision. You know, they, they, they would say, well, you, you just need to, follow the Lord. And the essence of what they were saying was you need to just do like I did, just follow the Lord. Uh, and still others, um, you know, pointed to what was commonly called the sinner's prayer. They, they said, well, we just need to pray together and uh, you, you need to say this, uh, this prayer, uh, which praying for forgiveness is important, isn't it? Uh, deciding a decision for Christ is important, isn't it? Our testimony is important, isn't it? And I don't think I I don't think I got the same answer from any two people that I asked when I asked the question, what is the gospel? And and uh, I remember telling Tammy, I said, you know, uh, I don't know a whole lot, but I know this all can't be right. Uh, what in the world? What in the world is the gospel? Now, it, it shouldn't be any surprise to us that there's a lot of confusion concerning the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Uh, you you want to make the, the evil one shudder, preach the gospel. Uh, he shudders at the sound of the gospel, and he is busy doing everything he can to confuse it, to water it down, to obliterate it, to assault it in any way that he possibly can. Because it is powerful. It is very, very powerful. What is the answer to uh, this question? What is the gospel? What is the answer to this confusion? What is the answer to all this? It's a careful study in the book of Romans, isn't it? The careful study in the book of Romans. We're going to be looking at the gospel upside down and right side up as we go through the pages of Romans. Now, last time we took a look at the first seven verses uh, of Romans, and we noted that uh, it contains the longest salutation. We looked at that word last week. Uh, many of you were familiar with it. You'd read uh, introductions to some of these letters and you'd come across this word salutation. And of course, salutation is simply a standard formula of words used in a letter to address 
the person or persons being written to, a standard formula of words used in a letter to address the person or persons being written to. Uh, in Romans, we have a salutation that is seven verses long. Uh, it's one long sentence. Uh, it takes a little while to sort out. And we went through a few examples of Paul's letters last last time, looking at salutations, seeing the, the commonalities of these. You remember, we looked at 1 Corinthians, we looked at Galatians, we looked at Ephesians, and you can go right through Paul's letters and see that, that familiar pattern. And I mentioned to you that in this salutation, Paul has two very important themes twisted together. The theme of authority, which we looked at last week, which is very, very important. You know, Paul's message... He describes right from the get-go that it is God's gospel. This message is God's message. Uh, It comes with great authority. Uh, We're not free just to disregard this message, are we? Uh, If we do so, we do so at our own peril. Uh, The second theme that I mentioned and promised that we would look at this week is the theme of the gospel. Uh, The theme of the gospel. And the first point that I want to point out about the gospel is that it centers on Christ Jesus. It centers on Christ Jesus. Look at verse 1 with me. You know, Paul has informed us that it has been that he has been set apart for the gospel of God. Do you see that there? A gospel that according to verse 2 was promised beforehand in the scriptures. A gospel that according to verse 3 concerns his son. You see the word son, capital S, the gospel concerning his son. And we, we again, we must always remember that the gospel centers on the son. It centers on Christ Jesus. The gospel is not our personal testimony. The gospel is not our decision to follow Jesus. The gospel is, is not even a prayer of confession. Okay, these are all reactions to the gospel. These are the ways that that a believer reacts to the gospel message. These are the effects of the gospel as the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts. Uh, But these are not the gospel themselves. The gospel is about Jesus. The gospel centers in Christ. It's about his person. It's about his earthly ministry. It's about his perfect life. It's about his crucifixion. It's about his resurrection. It's about his exaltation, his ascension to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And as we're going to see uh, later today, it's about his recreating, his recreating power. He's recreating power. Now, if you look down to verse 9 with me, you'll notice that Paul refers to the gospel as the gospel of what? The gospel of his son. You see that? I cannot say this too much. The gospel centers on Christ. Can we say that all together? The gospel centers on Christ. Say it for the recording. The gospel centers on Christ. Don't ever forget that. Now, back to verse 3. We should understand Paul's reference in verse 3 to God's Son is a reference to the second person of the Trinity, the second person of the glorious Trinity. You know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one person, or one God, rather, three persons, equal in glory and power. You know, they have dwelt in all eternity in fellowship with one another. Uh, God doesn't need us to do anything. Uh, God is in no way incomplete in and of Himself. 
Uh, he didn't create us to complete something that was missing. There's nothing missing. God created us because God is benevolent. He created us because God's heart is a heart that is giving. God created us so that we could share in this incomprehensible love that is experienced between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why we've been created. Uh, but uh, we have forfeited this with our rebellion against Him. I mean, our rebellion has brought us uh, out of a right and proper relationship with God, hasn't it? And I think as a culture, I think many of us, especially those who have been called to Christ in adulthood, I think for many of us, we have experienced this rebellion uh, simply through indifference. You know, indifference. It's not like we wake up in the morning and we have a particular axe to grind uh, towards Jesus. We just wake up in the morning and we don't really care. Uh, we don't really care if Jesus exists or not. Uh, we don't really want Him meddling with our lives. Uh, uh, you know, we, we live as if He doesn't exist. We, in many ways, hide from Him. And we try to remove Him from our consciousness, as we'll see in verses 18 and following when we get as we progress in Romans chapter 1. And it, listen, and no matter how good we might be, you know, uh, we, we may be the most upstanding citizen in the valley and our lawns are cut and our bills are paid and we take the, you know, we carry the groceries in for the widow down at the end of the street and we do all the stuff we're supposed to do. But if we're indifferent towards Jesus, we're lost. We're lost. And unless we're delivered from that, uh, we're lost for all eternity, aren't we? But the gospel is about Jesus coming to deliver us. Uh, let's put some more of this together. Look back with me again to verse 3. There Paul tells us that the gospel centers on God's Son who is descended from David according to the flesh. Descended from David according to the flesh. Now here, Paul is pointing to the glorious incarnation of Christ. You know, the, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the glorious Trinity, steps into time, space, and history. Paul fleshes this out in another letter in Galatians. He writes, quote, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Galatians 4.4 4. And many of us know that this was in fulfillment of prophecy. You know, a thousand years earlier, God had come to David and said, Listen, one of your sons is going to come after you and he's going to reign on your throne forever and ever and ever. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 13 reads, uh, God speaking through Nathan the prophet to David, says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. End of quote. And it's astounding when we think about this prophecy. It was given a thousand years earlier. A thousand years earlier, approximately a thousand years before Jesus comes and steps into time, space, and history. And last time I, I mentioned that, that, uh, uh, that adds a lot of strength to the gospel, doesn't it? Uh, in fact, Paul alludes to that in verse 2. If you back up and look at verse 2, he says the gospel message is God's gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets. So the, the Apostle Paul 
uh, is going through Palestine. He's going through the, the Gentile regions, if you will. He's going, he's going everywhere where he can get a hearing, and he's traveling around with a Bible. And it's the Old Testament, isn't it? The Hebrew Scriptures. And he's basically saying to everybody, look, open up your Bibles and look. You know, turn to Isaiah 7, turn to Isaiah 11, turn to Isaiah 9, turn to Isaiah 42, turn to Isaiah 53, turn to Zechariah 9, turn to Genesis 3, turn to all these great places. And look what's been promised here. Look at what's been promised here. And he preaches the gospel from the Old Testament. Now, look with me to verse 4. Paul says that Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now, what do we make of this? I think on the surface of it, many of you might be saying, listen, I think I see what's going on here. I think I see what's going on here. In verse 3, Paul is talking about Christ's human nature. And in verse 4, Paul is talking about Christ's divine nature. Um, and, of course, this is very important that we always keep in mind that Jesus has both a human nature and a divine nature. We can't overstress that uh, too much. Uh, if you're thinking that way, you're, you're thinking just like I have for a very long time. For a very long time as I read these verses, that's what I thought Paul was doing, was contrasting the human nature of Jesus with the divine nature of Jesus. I don't think that anymore. I don't think that's, this is a true statement. Jesus is fully human. He is fully God. Two natures, one person. And Paul teaches that doctrine. The New Testament teaches that doctrine everywhere. But I don't think that's what Paul's up to here. I don't think that's what he's up to at all. In fact, I think what Paul is doing here, and I think this really opens the whole thing up once we begin to see this, is I think what Paul is up to here is he's contrasting two different phases of Christ's work. Two different phases of Christ's work. If you look with me to verses 3 and 4, you'll notice there are two phrases that are kind of in parallel with each other. According to the flesh in verse 3, do you see that? According to the flesh in verse 3. According to the spirit of holiness in verse 4. Okay, with the phrase, according to the flesh, Paul's making reference to uh, the phase of Christ's work where he entered into time, space, and history, which we just talked about briefly. You know, being born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus really uh, dwells in obscurity. We know practically nothing of Christ's uh, childhood. Uh, Jesus is born. We, we get some information about his birth. We get a story about uh, Jesus being in the temple, probably around the age of 12 or so. But other than that, we don't know very much, do we? Uh, about, Christ, about Christ's childhood, about uh, growing up. Uh, we, we, we don't know anything. He was in, he's largely hidden in obscurity. And it's not until the last three years of Jesus' earthly life where he begins performing miracles. But, you know, as you read the gospel, you, you find the strangest thing. Maybe you've found this very strange where Jesus is going up and down through Palestine and he's he'll, he'll heal somebody. He'll he'll perform this magnificent miracle. And then he'll look at him and he'll say, listen, don't tell nobody about this. You ever seen that? Doesn't that always seem strange to you? You see that? Well, what do you mean? Don't tell nobody about this. I mean, this demonstrates who you really are. Why, what do you mean? Don't tell nobody. Uh, at this phase in Christ's ministry, His glory is largely veiled. 
It's largely veiled. And in fact, we have one story in, uh, where Jesus is transfigured. You know, he goes up on the mountain with James, Peter, and John, and he's transfigured, and, and his glory is allowed to be seen, at least by these three apostles. He's allowed to be seen uh, in, his, in all his glory, at least in part. But as they come down off the mountain, Jesus says to James, Peter, and John, listen, I, I, don't, want you, I don't want you guys discussing this. You keep this to yourself, okay? The glory, during this phase, Christ's glory is, is veiled, isn't it? It's veiled. And it's, un, it's, it's, it's unimaginable that the, that the glorious second person of the Trinity would come and assume a human body and walk in a human person in obscurity, being veiled like this. You know, you think about that. And I invite you and encourage you to think about that a lot this afternoon. It is practically unthinkable. And why does he do it? He does it to identify with us. He does it to identify with us. He does it to walk, to live that perfect life that you and I can't live. He lives that perfect life in our place. He does it to go to the cross and die for our sins, doesn't he? Now, let's keep that on the shelf. Let's put that on the shelf somewhere where we can find it really quick like. And let's look at this next phrase in verse 4, namely the phrase, according to the spirit of holiness. Now, what is Paul saying to us with that phrase? Uh, admittedly, that's a difficult phrase. And I've probably spent more time on that phrase than I have the rest of these seven verses, actually, in, in Romans chapter 1. Uh, the answer to this phrase, I think, uh, becomes uh, clear to us as we look at what be comes before and what goes after it. And that shouldn't be a surprise to us because there are three things that are important when we're trying to understand our Bibles, right? Context, context, and what's the third? It's context, right? Well, look at the phrase that comes before it, namely that phrase, declared to be the Son of God in power. You see that? Now, I think it's easy to read all of this. Because you got so many commas. There's a lot of commas, isn't there? You know, our English teachers say, listen, get rid of these commas, shorten these sentences, and this is, this is a terrible mess you've got going on here. There'd be red ink everywhere if we turned this paper in, wouldn't there? Um, get rid of those commas. And I think because of all of those commas, commas, we forget about this in power part. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've read this many times, and I, I, I'll see where Jesus has been declared to be the Son of God. And I kind of keep reading. The in power part kind of it, it, it gets lost. Um, but notice that Paul doesn't simply say that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God. He says that he was declared to be the Son of God in power. In power. And look at the phrase that comes afterward. Namely, by his resurrection from the dead. By his resurrection from the dead. Now, this is pointing beyond Christ's earthly ministry to his resurrection power. It's pointing beyond his earthly ministry uh, to his resurrection. And of course, from there to uh, his ascension, his exaltation, if you will, uh, his investiture, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we, we know uh, that uh, uh, as Jesus hung on the cross, one of the last things that he said was, what? It is finished. 
What is finished? Our sins have been atoned for. And then he breathes his last. And then he is buried. But the third day, he arose from the grave. And when he arose from the grave, a new phase began. The old phase of humiliation was complete. And now the new phase of exaltation has come to play. I think what Paul's telling us is that a new day has dawned here. A new day has arrived. And this phase involves investiture of the Holy Spirit, the recreating power of the Holy Spirit. Let's think for a moment what Jesus says on the night that he's betrayed to his disciples. He says, listen, he's preparing them for his departure, which is his death. He's preparing them, and in, in, in many places, and John 16, 7 is one of those places, he says to them, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. The helper being the Holy Spirit. And he makes good on that promise in Acts chapter 2, uh, where the Holy Spirit comes down upon the, the, the group there, right? And the Holy Spirit comes down in power, doesn't it? A new day has dawned. Peter preaches at Pentecost and he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. This Jesus whom you've crucified. Now, as we gather around Romans 1 and verses 3 and 4 this morning, uh, maybe not this morning, but maybe this morning we gather around these verses in sorrow. Uh, maybe not this morning, but maybe some of us this morning. Uh, we gather around these verses and we can think about our failures through the past week. I mean, I, that's, that's one of the painful realities of walking with Jesus in this life, isn't it? That a remnant of sin still continues to dwell in our hearts and we continue to say things we wish we hadn't said. We continue to do things that we hate. And sometimes as we peruse and we look back at the past couple of days, maybe the last hour, maybe maybe yesterday, uh, we come knowing that we've failed. Some of us are carrying around failures uh, uh, that uh, haunt us uh, all the time. Uh, but uh, if your trust is in Christ, I mean, if you've embraced him with true saving faith, uh, you've been recreated. Because a new day has dawned. Uh, you've been recreated. Uh, uh, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he's saying the same thing when he says, that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And he says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 6 and verses 9 to 11. You remember we read that earlier. Some of you have that place saved. Keep your finger in Romans and take a look there with me. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. We'll notice what Paul says there. He's writing to the Corinthians and he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And there are a lot of people who are deceived. Do not be deceived. 
neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then look what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. But you've been washed, you were sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here's a group of people that were loaded with all kinds of regrets, all kinds of pain and sorrow over the past. But notice what Paul says at the beginning of verse 11. And such were some of you. Now, I point your attention to the tense of that verb, were. You are no longer these things if you are in Christ Jesus. You have been recreated. A new day has dawned. This is a new day. Christ, back to verse 4 has been declared the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Do you see how that brings, do you see how that opens this whole thing up? Paul's not contrasting the human nature with the divine nature, as important as that is. He's contrasting the old with the new. He's contrasting the humiliation that Jesus suffered in our place with the new phase of his work, the exaltation, where Jesus is so invested in power with the Holy Spirit. He's so invested with the power of the Holy Spirit that it almost looks at times, as you read the New Testament, it almost looks at times that Jesus is almost being confused with the Old Testament or with the Holy Spirit. There is no confusion. Jesus doesn't become the Holy Spirit. There is no confusion. But Jesus has been so invested with the Holy Spirit as he's been raised, as he's been exalted, he has promised that he will send the helper. He's been so invested with that that the Apostle Paul goes and calls him in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, he calls Jesus a life-giving spirit. A life-giving spirit. And this is the great news. You see, it centers on Jesus. A new day has emerged. A new day has dawned. As we embrace Jesus, as we, as we take Him, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. Christ takes thieves, and He takes gossips. He takes slanderers and adulterers. He takes idolaters and the sexually immoral. He takes drunkards. He takes drug addicts, and He recreates them. He recreates them. He makes them new. And if you're in Christ this morning, such were some of you. Such were some of you. Half the battle is realizing that's not who we are now. That's not who we are now. That is not our identity from now on. That's the big part of the battle, isn't it? This is the good news. If you turn to Christ and saving faith and repentance, you'll be the object of his recreating power. And this is the good news of the gospel. You know, Jesus is reigning, isn't he? He's reigning with with such great power, imperishable power, imperishable power. Able to recreate all who come to him in true saving faith. And, And in Christ, we can really be 
recreated in him. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this great truth that a new day has emerged, a new day has dawned, that, O Father, you have raised your Son, Jesus Christ. He is above all things and invested with such great power that as we turn to him in saving faith, as we come to him, we are no longer the same. But we are recreated in Christ Jesus. We are no longer those things that we once were. And Father, we do call on you that you would help us, Father, to, uh, to uh, digest this great truth that if we are in Christ Jesus, we are no longer that old gossip or that old slanderer. We are no longer that old thief. We are no longer that old drug addict or that old drunkard. We are no longer the sexually immoral. We are no longer those things if we have truly come to you in saving faith and by the gift of faith and repentance turn from these things. Father, we recognize that we still struggle. But Father, we also recognize that the old has passed and the new, behold, the new has come. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.